The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Okay, well, I'm going to start off by impressing you with my literary knowledge. <laughs> Some of you will laugh right away. You know, my wife and I were talking about this last week. You know, we were looking at our kids and watching how they rub off, their spouses rub off on them. And, oh, by the way, speaking of our kids, grandbaby number three last night at 9.30, yeah. Yeah, my first, first granddaughter, uh, born out in Colorado, so we'll be about... Uh, month or two before we go out there. We're going to wait till she can walk and uh, go out, at least potty train. Uh, and uh, and then, then we'll go out for a visit. But, uh, but no, we're anxious to go out and meet Phoebe Joy. Kind of sounds fun. And by the way, don't say PJ. I already got in trouble for that. The kid's not even born, and I already got rebuked for that one. Uh, okay, anyway, back to the story. Uh, looking at our kids, one of the big things our family has been, and this is probably shallow and everything like that, but our family has always been gift people. You know, I'm talking about Christmas. You know, yeah, we like gifts. I think it's because the dad in the family really likes getting presents. Uh, but, uh, but I've always been, you know, kind of, you know, make a big deal about birthdays and everything like that. But neither of my in children-in-law are. So, like, my daughter now is becoming like, oh, we don't think gifts are that important. <laughs> gifts? Come on. That's what Christmas is all about. Just kidding. Uh, but, uh, and my son definitely is like that, too. Kind of like, you know, we don't like to emphasize those things too much. We like to spend time with people and, and love them throughout the year. So sometimes when you get stuck on these gifts, it can... I don't understand. Have I taught? And it went wrong. You know, somehow everything I taught them, they've totally forgotten. But friends and I got talking about our influence on each other. And this is kind of weird. We've been married 38 years. I don't really know how we have changed a whole lot. What, each other. We must have, but I don't see it. You know, we were talking about there must be some things. One of the things for sure we haven't, if you know my wife, she has a book with her every second. I mean, like, if I run into the drugstore to get a, you know, Aspirin, gum, yeah. Uh, she has to break out her book. You know, I can't waste the time. Uh, I, I have to read it. And she always carries this book with her. Now, me, I'm very content to sit and stare into space while, while she's in the drugstore. <laughs> uh, just like that. I, I, that fits me fine. Uh, but she has to have a book all the time. She definitely uh, reads literature novels all the time. My literary, this is terrible. Kids don't even listen to this. I don't think I've read a novel since 11th grade. Sorry, I know, but so I'm going to show off here. I'm going to, I, I do know that there is a famous book called The Tale of Two Cities, Charles Dickens, right? And uh, I do know the first line, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. There it is. That's the extent of my literary knowledge. And, and wait, I also know this from a Jeopardy question. The two cities are Paris and London. I hope that's all right. Uh, but anyway, we're, I'm going to steal from that today, and we're going to just talk about a tale of twos, a tale of two different things as we look at Hebrews chapter 9. And we're going to read a, a, a spell of Scripture for a while, but we're going to skip over at the beginning uh, some things. We're going to skim through chapter 9 a little bit, and this first verse helps uh, to explain why I'm going to do a little skimming here. Okay, when the writer of Hebrews wrote this, 
Uh, he has been talking about everything that went on as far as the tabernacle was concerned. Okay, now, we've been talking about this, the Old Testament law, the ceremonial law, everything they went through to picture Jesus and what he did. He's been talking about this, and he says this, of these things, he says, basically, we're not going to go into detail right now. I'm going to steal that. We are not going to go into detail on everything that it says. However, uh, later on in 6 and 7, he says, These preparations have thus been made. The priests go regularly into the first section and perform their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes. He but once a year and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Now, we're going to test my, uh, I know you can't read the words that well up there, but uh, we're going to test my laser pointer skills, okay? It's kind of scary, isn't it? Uh, but this is a little diagram of the tabernacle. Now, let me review again. In the Old Testament, before they built the temple, as Israel was traveling around, they had this tabernacle that they took with them. So when they set up camp, they would set up a tabernacle. Okay, and again, God gave very specific details of how this had to be done because this was to picture Jesus and his coming. So everything had to be exact, and they really went into detail on that. That's the type of thing I'm not going to go into intense detail on, but I wanted to kind of explain just a couple things here real fast. Uh, this is like an outside tent, if you will, no, no roof on it. And then this part in here just called the court uh, and individuals could come in there. The two elements that were there was this altar for sacrifice and a laver for cleaning up uh, after that. And then you get into this room here, which is called the holy place. Okay, you get into this tent that does have a roof on it here. Into this section over here, the priests are allowed to go. And there's a lampstand, a menorah. There's a uh, table of showbread with 12 loaves. Those are the things. We're not going to get into all the detail as to what those represent. Uh, and then there's an altar of incense. So they would, as they prayed, they would offer this incense. If you've ever wondered where that idea comes from, that you light a candle when you pray, uh, they, they, the incense going up was to symbolize the prayers going up to God. Okay, again, it is to symbolize it. Uh, if you do not light a candle and pray, your prayers still get there. If you do, your prayers still get there. If that makes you happy, if you want to light a candle, fine, but you don't have to. You know, if I, you know, somebody will use the expression, sometimes light a candle for me, okay? Hopefully, you know, that means pray for me. Uh, well, I've lit a candle. <laughs> Good enough. It's burned out now. I don't know what that means. Uh, that, that means the, the, the prayer idea. And then you get into what is called the holy holiest place or the holy of holies. Now, into this, and that's what the verse we just read said, only the high priest was to enter, and he was to enter once a year. And in here is the Ark of the Covenant. Some of you have heard of that from Indiana Jones movies, so you know what that is. Uh, anybody know the three things that are in it? In it trivia? Uh, trivia, we'll start trivia night tonight. The Ten Commandments, uh, the tablets, that's right. Aaron's rod that budded, that's right. The, and the manna. Man, you guys are good. Trivia. Where's our prize? $5,000 right there. Uh, okay. Anyway, the, whole, the high priest would go in there once a year. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit about this day when he went in there. It is called the Day of Atonement. Okay? Day of Atonement. Also, the holiday that you see on your calendar that you don't know what it means when you see it is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Now, again, there are a lot of details of this day that I'm going to skip over, but I do want you to know this, 
The high priest, before he would go in, first of all, had to sacrifice. He would sacrifice a bull. That was to atone for his sin and the sin of his family. But then he took with him two other animals to sacrifice, two other goats. And this is our first tale of twos. We're going to talk about the tale of the two goats, okay? Because he was not to have one, but he was to have two that he would take in here for, that, that would be available. And you might know that the first one is very simply going to be the sacrificial goat. In other words, this goat is going to be killed. And the blood of that goat is, and we're going to talk more about this blood as, as we get into this, but uh, this blood is to be taken in, and the high priest would take that with him and is going to sprinkle it around. So it's, if you want to say it's a little gory like that. But it brings out this whole idea, again, that we need to understand. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Okay, and way back in the book of Genesis, you might remember that Adam and Eve sinned, and, uh, and then right away they tried to cover themselves, they tried to hide their sin, and God said, no, that's not going to do, I'm going to make you something that will cover you. And, and he's replaced the old figs with some animal skins. But understand, in order to have their sin covered, something had to die. Okay, the animal skins were not already hanging out, dried out, something had to die. And that is a message that Scripture has. It may not be the most popular message, but the wages of sin is death. So we might not like the gore of, well, they sacrificed the animal. Yes, they did. They sacrificed several animals. Again, not to cover sins, but to picture the fact that because of sin, something had to die. Okay, are you getting that? Uh, so that first animal then is going to be sacrificed. It's going to be killed. And, it's going to, and they're going to take the blood. Into, the high priest is going to take that blood with him. Because of sin, there had to be a death penalty. Okay? Now, the second goat I want you to remember too, though. You've heard of him, right? The scapegoat. I didn't know if you knew that this uh, word actually came from Scripture. You think, hey, we're going to put the blame on him. He's the scapegoat or she's the scapegoat. We're going to give all the blame on them. But with the second goat, what the priest was to do, he would lay his hands on the goat, symbolically placing all the sins of the people on that goat. And that sin, I'm sorry, that goat then was taken and he was led away. In fact, I, I, was, I was reading about that a little bit uh, this, this week. And they said they would have 10 different stations that they would move them out. And they would send reports back from those stations like the goat is this far away. The goat is this far away. And with each report, they said the people would rejoice. Yes, because symbolically, they saw their sin being taken away. It was moving away. So you understand the two goats here now. One of them says, hey, wait, my sin is paid for. The death penalty has been paid. And then also, if we could grasp this idea that not only has the death penalty been paid, but our sin is taken away. Some of you might remember that gone, gone, gone. Yes, my sins are gone. And because of that, my heart is free. In my heart is a song. Okay, but we want to grab a hold of that idea today, and I want you to embrace this idea of our sins being gone and us being free from the price of sin as we continue. So we're going to read a little bit more here in Hebrews chapter 9. Now, he says, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot, this is talking about the Old Testament, the, the sacrifices that they did. Remember, they were a symbol, so they cannot do what? They cannot perfect the conscious conscience. They cannot perfect the conscience. Okay, remember that because then it says in verse number 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, again, those other things were just a picture. What we really want to focus on is the death of Christ. 
He offered himself without blemish. He's perfect. Purified our what? Conscience. There it is again from dead works. And I want to talk about this idea of having a pure conscience. We all have a conscience. God has given us one. But in a fallen world, sometimes our conscience gets hijacked. And I hear this phrase. Hey, sometimes I believe this truth. I, I, you'll talk to somebody, and I'll hear somebody say this. I know I'm forgiven, but. Okay? And whatever you want to put after that. I know I'm forgiven, but. Yeah, I just don't feel forgiven. I know I'm forgiven, but I'm still living with the shame. I know I'm forgiven, but I really am just having a hard time getting over it. I'm having a hard time forgiving myself. I know I'm forgiven, but. I want to change that next word as we go through today. I know I'm forgiven because. Okay, and we're going to get into that, why we're forgiven. I'm sorry, I'm so excited about this because I just see people, uh, and like I said, personally I've struggled with this. I know, yeah, I, I, I get that. Jesus died to pay the penalty for my sin, but man, I mess up all the time, and I'm always, you know, kind of feeling like dirt because I messed up again. You know, and, and I spent so much of my life in there, and, and I want to I give you this. I want you to get this. Uh, why it is that we can say, I know I'm forgiven because... Okay, and, and the scripture will take us into that a whole lot more. But I want us to understand this as we move forward. Our second tale is a tale of two economies. I heard this phrase this week that I never heard before. Oh, you know what? Let me back up to one thing here before I do that. Every once in a while I look at my notes and realize I figured I forgot something. When we talk about repentance, there is a psalm that uh, we look to and say, boy, that is a great example of repentance. It's Psalm 51. It's the psalm that David prayed after his sin where he had committed adultery and murder and he was confronted by Nathan and he prayed this sin. Uh, I'm sorry, he prayed this psalm. And a lot of times we read it and we say, boy, that is a great psalm of repentance. It is, it is really good. Psalm 51, the, probably the most famous of what is called the penitential psalms or the psalms of repentance. However, the psalms are not in chronological order. And when you study it, the psalm that he wrote just after Psalm 51 is actually Psalm 32. And I wanted you to read the. Uh, I wanted to read to you the first couple verses of Psalm 32. After he has repented, here's what he says: "Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sins are covered." Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there's no deceit. So see where he is. I've repented, and this is great. The Lord doesn't hold this against me anymore. It's gone. He counts no iniquity. I wrote a paraphrase in my Bible here, my, my own particular version, and uh, I just wrote the words, I feel good. Da -na 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 -na. The way that I should, because I can see David just celebrating this. Man, my sin is gone. God doesn't count it against me anymore. This is great. Blessed is the man who lives like this, who lives believing in this forgiveness, not saying, I know I'm forgiven, but... But I know I'm forgiven. Why? Because, well, we're getting there. Hold on. Before we get there, though, a couple things uh, uh, about this economy. Here's the phrase I, I mentioned I heard this week. Somebody used this phrase. They said, the apology economy of forgiveness. The apology economy of forgiveness. So the first is, next slide, please. Come on, it was working. So it's been weeks since we had this happen. Does the next slide say apology? It won't click. There we go. Let's go with that. The first thing that we base our forgiveness on. Okay, I know I'm forgiven because I apologized. 
Okay, no, I don't want you to go there. Because too often that's exactly what we do. We kind of... Uh, <sighs> My wife's down the uh, hallway here, so I can use her as illustrations all I want today. Uh, but, uh, but in our family, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. And uh, probably I'm sure a lot of families have this dynamic. My daughter's a lot like me in a lot of ways. My son is a lot like her. And whenever we did family games, it was always my daughter and I, I guess, because they got along better. And my, my daughter and I got, got along better. But the, uh, the, the, what was I going to say? Do you remember? Oh, I know. Uh, one of the things about my daughter and I is when we apologize, we do it right. Okay? We are sorry. There's usually tears involved. Yeah. And we repeat it many times. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry again. And we live with the shame for several days. So that we keep apologizing over and over again. We know how to apologize. My wife and my son think that when you ask for forgiveness, it's over. <laughs> now, if you're picking up the sarcasm, good. Because I don't want you to live like my daughter and I. I want you to live like my son and my, and my wife. Understanding that... Well, but it used to, honestly, we've matured in our marriage. I no longer get mad at her for this, but I used to get really frustrated with her because I'd say, honey, you know, you did this, this, and this, and she'd say, oh, I'm sorry. I'll try not to do that again. And it was over. I wanted some tears. Uh, I wanted a little, her feeling bad for a while, moping around the house at least a little bit, uh, feeling bad, and I'd get nothing. She'd just be like, I said, oh, sorry. You know, it's, it's over. I asked for your forgiveness. It's, it's over uh, like that. But I, but I think a lot of times we think that our forgiveness needs to be based on the way we apologize. Have I been sorry enough? Have I asked forgiveness, if you want to say enough times? We had a little girl that was a friend of my daughter's, that's a sweetheart of a girl. And, uh, but she uh, was a very competitive person. She played on my daughter's basketball teams and soccer teams. But she used to crack me up because she, she had such a sweet, gentle spirit. And she, was, she played inside, and occasionally she'd get a block. You'd always hear after she blocked somebody on the other team, she'd apologize. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Or she'd foul somebody in soccer, and you'd hear her out there, you know, I'm sorry, uh, like that. I'm like, Emily, just play the stinking game. Uh, but a lot, for a lot of us, we feel like with God, like we have to live like that all the time. We have to live in this context because we are the economy, the way we're trying to get our forgiveness, if you want to say, the way we're trying to pay it off is by, you know, being sorry enough. And we live a lot of times with fear and stress because of that. I want to tell you, and, and this is a message that we're getting to, the debt for our sin has been paid. Paid in full. And you say, well, that makes it a little bit too easy. You're saying my sin's already forgiven. I'm saying, yeah, uh, and it's completely forgiven. You say, well, that just makes it too easy. I think I still need to suffer a little bit. Too easy for you, not for him. He shed his blood. He paid the price. So we can live in that forgiveness. We can live in that freedom. We don't have to live with shame, guilt, everything because of our sin, because He has paid the price. You see, here's the thing. The economy that we want to live in is the economy not of apologies, but of blood. Now, if that word, and Sarah, I don't say this flippantly, if that word is somewhat offensive, I... As I was looking that up this week, I was amazed. I saw somebody this morning. I was amazed to find out how the church for a while said, hey, you know, we need to make things more relevant for today, and people don't want to hear when they come to church about blood. I, I want to go on record as saying if that is the case, 
I'm too old, you need to get rid of me because I'm going to keep talking about blood. I, I, I'll explain why in a minute, but I, you need to talk about the blood of Christ. It has to be part of the truth that we're proclaiming. And yeah, I want you to know that. In fact, the truth that we're talking about here, the comparison between two economies, is captured in a hymn that I know you all know, so I want you to sing with me. Not all the blood of beasts. That's the name of the hymn. You remember it? Not all the blood of beasts. On three. One. Jeremy, could you lead that for us, please? Uh, Adam, you got that one? All the blood of beasts? No. Uh, I'd never heard it before either. Uh, but it, I say a hymn, in the hymn no, that, most, that many of us grew up with, not all the blood of beasts is written by uh, Watts, James Watts. Uh, but uh, here's, listen to these words. It begins with that line. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace and wash away the stain. Second verse, but the heavenly lamb takes all our sins away, the sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. There's the idea. That conscience, my apologies, my efforts like that, not going to take it away. The blood of these animals, not going to take it away. But, but the answer to having that clear conscience, the answer to defeating guilt and shame in our life, the blood of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that's the answer. And I really do not believe. Let, let me show you why I say I can't get away from this. The Apostle John wrote about it. He said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And here you go. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's how we're cleansed, through the blood. Peter wrote about it, knowing the Lord that we were ransomed uh, from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers, not with perishable, perishable things such as silver and gold. That's not what paid our price. That's not what redeemed us, but with the what? Precious blood of Christ, like that of the lamb without blemish or spot. The apostle Paul wrote about it too. He said, but now is Christ Jesus who you want, who who once was far off, have been brought near to me by what? How are we brought near to God? By the blood of Jesus Christ. And continuing on in our passage in Hebrews, therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood, that's what it said, the blood of calves and of goats, uh, with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both uh, the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God's commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Again, it was kind of a bloody scene, if you want to say it like that. When he sprinkled the blood. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without the shedding of blood. So I have to talk about the blood. Now, know this. The Bible tells us in Leviticus why blood is so important. It says the life of the flesh is in the blood. This is him laying down his life. Jesus, Jesus Christ laying down his life. So we could talk about the blood economy or we could talk about the life economy, but it is the life of Jesus that was given. That's, the, that's what I'm banking on, if you will, for my forgiveness. I'm not going to trust in the level of my apology. I'm not going to trust in me at all. That's never got me anywhere. I'm going to trust in the work of Jesus Christ. Let's see. I just skipped three pages of my notes. Let's see if I missed anything important. Oh, yeah, we were singing that song this morning, and I thought, there's a line in there. He said, there's a place where sin and shame are powerless. When we were singing about the cross, 
where the blood was shed, there is a pl- that is the place. And that's where I want to get us to today. That place where sin and shame are powerless. Let me ask you this question. What is it in your history that makes intimacy with God hard? Okay, think about that for a second. What is it in my history that makes it hard to draw close to God? And I want to encourage you on this day and throughout the coming days to do something. And it's a phrase that's kind of like a catchphrase that some folks use, and it sounds a little weird, but stay with me. I want to encourage you to plead the blood. Plead the, the blood. In other words, say, Jesus, I want to be free of that. And I am claiming the blood of Jesus Christ shed for me. That has the power to take away the shame and guilt. My level of apology just ain't going to do it. Okay? My being sorry enough just isn't going to do it. And come on, some of you know what I'm talking about. You beat yourself all, up all the time and you think, hey, I'm just not good enough. I'm not going to make it. And the, the accuser comes and he, t- he tells you, he th- keeps throwing our shame and guilt at us. I want you to say, no, I'm forgiven of that sin. And I want you to say this, because the blood of Jesus Christ was shed, he paid the price. Not only that, I'm going to remember that there was another goat that walked away with it. I'm going to say, get on out of here. Okay, come on, let's grab this. Let's, let's hold on to this. This is, this is powerful, uh, life-changing stuff. <laughs> it is. I know, you've heard so many life-changing messages, you don't know who you are. But, uh, but I get excited about this one. This is pretty good. Okay, let's go to the next verse. Nor was it offered himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year. Okay, remember, this high priest had to go in once a year. The Bible makes very plain, well, it's going to in a second here. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared, I love these next three words, once for all, at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. I love that phrase, once for all, one and done. Now, this next two that we're going to look at is the tale of two cars. I'll explain that in a second here. I want you to stay with me just through a little thinking. And this is the type of thing, I'll say it like that. You may disagree or you may struggle with a little bit with what I'm going to say, but I was just processing, and I, I want to share with you. I was kind of trying to process this truth, okay? I am forgiven. I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, and He has forgiven. When I did, when I came to Christ, when I became a Christian by trusting in Him for forgiveness of sin, I was told, and I believe correctly, that Jesus died for my sins of the past, sins of the present, and sins of the future. They're all forgiven. Many of you, you know, you've you've heard that. You know that, that that is the truth. You see, Jesus isn't going to die again. He died once. It's done. Okay, that's what this says. He died once and for all. It's done. So my sins are, okay, now, right here I am. I get up tomorrow morning and you can fit whatever sin in there, but I commit a sin. Okay, maybe it's uh, anger. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's, uh, maybe I steal. I was thinking I might go out on a, shoplifting rampage tomorrow morning but uh let's say let's say i do something and you say, at that moment okay i just sinned do i feel clean i don't think i'm clean at all is that sin forgiven i'm going to suggest to you yes it is but wait pastor you tell us uh, and i have said this that we ought to have a regular time of confession of our sin well i don't know if you remember we talked about a great prayer model is the acts thing you adoration after the a and then the c is confess and then the t is thanksgiving and then the s is supplication that's your request request so we have part of confession as our prayer life why would we do that 
I'm not going to say we shouldn't. In fact, confession is just agreeing with God about our sin. And I think it is still a healthy thing for us to remember that we are sinful and we need His help. But I do not think this, I drag it up again saying, God, you please forgive me. I'm not, here, here's the controversial statement. I'm not even sure that we really need to repent in that sense of it again and that it is already forgiven. Now, we, we could debate that some other time. But what I want you to understand is His sacrifice is done. And we want to honor His sacrifice by believing what He said is true. That sin is paid for. If, I, if my statement is, I know I'm forgiven, but I'm not doing that. I've used this illustration before, but one day I walked into Chipotle uh, with my wife and uh, saw a guy, kind of an old friend up in line, you know, a little zigzag uh, there going through there, and uh, waved to him and everything like that. When I got up to pay, I found out the guy had already paid for me. Not for himself. Uh, he had already paid for me. And I, I thought immediately, why didn't I get the chips and guac? That would have been the day to get the chips and guac. Uh, I didn't know he was paying. But, but then I, I, also, I also thought to myself, hey, wait, he shouldn't have done that. Why, you know, why, why, is, he, why is the guy paying for me? Uh, and uh, what if I'd have said, no, I'm sorry, that is unacceptable. I'm paying anyway. Doesn't much honor his gift, does it? But see, that's exactly what we do sometimes with Jesus Christ. He has paid the penalty for our sin. And sometimes we still want to beat ourselves up over our sin and say, you know, we honor His sacrifice by believing that indeed sin is paid for. I'm sorry, but I'm just stinking excited about that. Now, here's my tale of two cards with that as to how this applies to my life. I have a friend that is takes incredibly good care of his car. When I get into that car, I'm nervous, okay? I wipe my feet before I get in the car. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, the dashboard is always armor-old. It's always, it's always looking good in there. I mean, there's never any clutter in there. And uh, I, if I have a drink or something in my hand, I'm not a big lid guy, straw guy, so I'm, I don't know. I just I hold it on my lap. You know? If it spills, I want it to be on me. Uh, I'm not going to. No, we're not. We're not. We're kind of middle of the road. We're not real dirty people by any stretch. You could look at our cars now. I would not be embarrassed. But, but if you went digging, I bet you could find a fry or two down in the crevices. Uh, don't worry. They're McDonald's, so they last forever. You can still eat them. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, but, you know, uh, but I get in this car, and I think, man, i got to be careful. Why? Because it's clean. Oh, man, it is so clean. Now, I have another, we'll say acquaintance. <laughs> it may not be my friend after this illustration. Uh, but, uh, but, but yeah, okay, no, no, I'll come back to that. I got excited. But uh, the second, if it's dirty, are you with me? Who cares? I uh, walk in there, and I have another friend that this is not an exaggeration. You cannot find a spot to put your feet when you get in. Uh, there is, you know, Fast food bags, and there is all types of cans. I'm like, do you ever clean this thing out? Sometimes you'll find something. You'll say, there's a loaf of bread. Honestly, one time I said, there's a loaf of bread here. <laughs> and he said, oh, yeah, that's still good. Uh, so, okay, put it back, you know, like that. Uh, he has half of his clothes out of his closet in the car. You know, it's like, you know, so he has to get dressed. He has to run outside three times to find out what, what he's doing. And I really don't completely understand that. But when you ride in it, you think, who cares, Right? Okay, now, if we believe that we are clean, sometimes we get this idea, well, if I just think I'm forgiven, then it won't really matter what I do. But see, grace doesn't do that. When we understand God's grace, it doesn't make me think who cares about sin. It makes me thankful. 
okay? And if I, if I understand that I am clean, if I understand that I am forgiven, then my approach to doing wrong goes back to my approach to the clean car. I want to keep it clean. And it is important because you go the other way. If I think I'm dirty, okay, honest, you've been on a diet, right? Sometime in your life. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and you thought, well, I'm going to be good. Okay, but you mess up with one thing, whatever it is. You're not allowed to have a cupcake. After you eat that first cupcake, you kind of think, I messed up. Give me another. Um, uh, with me, you know, I go on uh, retreats from Pepsi. Okay, so, but, you know, once I take that first Pepsi, I think, you know, what, yeah, what, yeah, what is one can? I mean, what's 44 ounces compared to a can? Let's go. Uh, I messed up. I might as well mess up big time. We do the same thing with our charge cards, don't we? I'm off my budget. Yeah, while I'm on my budget, let's spend a little bit more because tomorrow I got to get back on the budget. Well, we do the same thing with sin. We do the same thing with wrongdoing. I do. Uh, they go, well, hey, I'm going to get right tomorrow and start cleaning this act up. Uh, so for today, I might as well go. I'm dirty already. You know what I'm talking about? I might as well get into it all the way. I might as well dive into the pigsty because I'm already, I'm already dirty. Can you see why it is so important that we understand that God has forgiven us and we are clean? Can you capture that some? I, I hope so. Man, I hope we can get this. I hope we can get this because I want, do you understand what I was saying? I know I'm forgiven, but no, 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 no. I know I'm forgiven because Jesus Christ paid the price. Okay? Let's clean that. Let's walk in that. I, yeah, but no, because. Change that word. I am, because, I am forgiven because of Jesus Christ. You see, shame does the exact opposite. Shame drives us back into it. It's dirty. Might as well keep going. It does. Come on. It does, doesn't it? You've been there. We struggle with the sin, and it keeps coming back in our lives. And, and as soon as I mess up, I figure, hey, might as well go all. You know, I'm going to have to repent sometime, but I might as well get it, get it over with now. You know, I'm going to have to turn from this sometime. If I really lived in the belief that I am clean through the blood of Christ. Oh, man, that is so powerful. I'm sorry. I get so excited. Okay, well, a couple last things from the verse. Sorry, from the text. Injustice is appointed under man wants to die, and after that comes the judgment. Okay, let me just explain here real fast. Uh, if you're a big believer in reincarnation, I'm sorry, but that just got blown out of the water uh, with that verse. But anyway, so Christ, having been offered once, once, to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, okay? Not to deal with our sins. That's why he came the first time, to lay down his life and deal with our sins, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So the last tale of two is pretty easy. It's the tale of two comings. First time, Jesus came to deal with our sin, and it's done, okay? And these verses tell us that uh, he's not coming back to finish that job. He's coming back for a different reason. The second coming is take us home to be with him, and this is where our hope is. But I want you to see, it's not like the job is incomplete, and Jesus has to come back and finish the business of atoning for death. Okay, what, was, what took place, what was pictured back there, uh, the day when the high priest went in on the day of atonement, and he, uh, and he took the blood of the goat because of the sacrificial death, and he, took, and he sent the other away and said, hey, get these sins out of here, uh, get, get them gone, let's put them on the scapegoat, and he could, and he could carry them away. That work's done. As I stand here today, that work is done. He's coming again, and he's going to take us home. He's going to take us out of this mess, and we'll rejoice in that. I asked uh, Adam if we could uh, sing that. Uh, 
at the cross. Uh, blood, ran, blood ran red again. So uh, they're going to come up, and uh, David and, and uh, Kevin play for us. But understand this. The atoning work of Jesus Christ is done. Now, if that atoning word is a, basically he's paid the price. Okay, done. Paid in full. And my invitation to you today is, is, is old school church terminology. So I, and I don't want to drive you away with that. But I want to invite you to be under the blood. Okay? First of all, if we are going to be forgiven of our sin, have new life in Christ, have eternal life in Christ, we want to come in and place our sin under the blood. And what that means is say, Lord, I know I need a Savior. I trust in the fact that you died for me. I trust in that for forgiveness of sin. I know I can't earn my way to heaven. I know I can't be good enough. I know that I have sinned. I know the wages of sin is death, and I know your death paid that price. I trust in that. I don't want to trust in my good works. I want to trust in you. And at that time, the Bible says that when a person trusts in Jesus Christ with their heart, with their lips, they might say that prayer. They might say, Lord, yes, I... Uh, I, I do trust in you. I want you to be my Savior. But with their heart, they call out to him and they say, I, I want this eternal life. I want forgiveness of my sin. This is what I want. I place my trust in your death. I place my trust in the blood. That person receives new life. But then how many of us, even though we've received that new life, we still walk with the shame of the past? And it does keep us from that spirit David had. <laughs> Blessed is the guy whose sins are forgiven. It keeps us from that. And I want to encourage you to also, if you want to say it like this, place your sin under the blood and say, God, I don't know if I've repented well enough or not. <laughs> I don't know if I've said the right thing. I don't know if I've been sorry enough. Sometimes I wonder. It doesn't matter. I'm not trusting in that. I'm trusting in the fact that what you did was you paid for it completely. I am trusting in that shed blood. I'm trusting in the life of God's Son that was laid on for us. Isn't that awesome? Hopefully, even as we sing this song again, uh, that'll help you bring that into focus and you can pray that prayer. Uh, especially, though, hey, if the, if the need for it, I'm not real sure what she's talking about. I'd love to try to explain more. I'd love to or introduce you to somebody that could because the last thing I want you to do is leave here confused. Okay? And uh, would love to be able to talk to you some more just about your relationship with Jesus and the fact that your sins can be under the blood. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.